Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is a multi-award winning poet who has published over 14 books, two novels, um, 13 collections of poetry, most recently the triumvirate Alter World, which brings together two earlier books of poetry, Sky Poems, which won the British Airways Commonwealth Poetry Prize for the overall best book of poetry in the British Commonwealth, and The Wellmouth, which was named a Sydney Morning Herald Book of the Year, an Adelaide Review Book of the Year, um, in, and combine those two with a new collection. Philip Salem, welcome. Oh, hello, Maggie. Thanks for being on the show. Now, I use the word triumvirate uh, a little tongue-in-cheek uh, tongue in, in your intro because it's not a term usually applied to literature um, but to governments. But I was immediately put in mind of the Hindu gods Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, which formed the Trimurti, a trinity of creation, maintenance, and destruction, when I read your book. Well, I suppose it has to be said that uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of creation and destruction going on in the book. Um, I think probably it began with obviously with sky poems in a chronological sense, but that collection being a kind of uh, a proposed paradise or proposed metaphysical space where the forces of creation uh, were given free reign, so all the protagonists in sky poems could desire the world they wanted, which is, of course, a paradox because you can't, <laughs> you're the only person there, you're the only uh, uh, desire there, but so the first irony cuts in when um, trying to propose how um, the poems, from the rights point of view, the poems might represent other people trying to have total creation over their, you know, over their future. Um, and it, it all has to break down. So it gave me the device of, um, as you say, the, 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 the play between um, creation and its natural um, entropy, but also its folly. So the way people, um, in order to do things, um, do damage um, to themselves as well as to everyone else or other things. But out of that can also come the impulse for mercy and tenderness and you know um, retribution of one kind, but also redemption and rebuilding, the remaking of things earlier broken. So you know the cycle. Mm. And and also of course the the notion that creation itself is is part of what's being done when you sit down and you begin a poem as well. I and mean, there's a lot of metapoetics I found through the book, a lot of reference to the process of creation as as art. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm not inclined to use the term poetry and poems very much in the actual words, my word choice. But that, as you say, is always the the inference. You're always aware that uh, I mean, in all three books, that there's a kind of um, an awareness that uh, the writer is has created these worlds and is in the creation of them, um, and therefore the poetry is, is an active principle or agency, and the reader is... I mean, these are inescapably the case anyway, but because these books are calling themselves made worlds, um, I think it, it you know, has to bring up what poetry is and what, what creativity is. And also, of course, increasingly over the, over the years, I've, I've um, been writing about people who are themselves creators, especially musicians. Someone asked me the other day if I was a musician. And I said, no, no, they were very surprised. And I thought, oh, well, this is kind of compliment in a way. <laughs> Maybe my writing poems about musicians sound at least as if it was worthwhile. <laughs> and, and maybe the rhythm in your work as well. 
Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't quite sure whether um, it didn't. The conversation didn't go any further. <laughs> My answer stalled it. And, and you have written a few um, poems with the word "song" in them, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to read one of those shortly too. Um, I'll, I'll segue into it though by um, talking a little bit about the nature of the mythology in your work. I mean, certainly there's a lot of mythology. Not just Hindu mythology, but Greek mythology, of course. Tiresias um, is a character who moves through the books, almost brings them together in a mercurial sort of way. Um, but also there's science. There's, there's a, a step back almost from from mythology too to um, this notion of the poet as a, a kind of, I guess, a kind of link between mythology, science, and, and humanities. Yeah, my only... Um Life was in farming, and I went to an agricultural college where, of course, we're getting a mild version of agricultural science. And I actually enrolled in agricultural science at the University of Western Australia. So, um, and I've been interested in science ever since. So I must say, in the last you know decade or so, I've, I've probably listened and read less. Um, though I've, I've segued into things like um, neurology. Um, studies of consciousness, and even you know some of these weird books on economics. Um, so I, I suppose the scientific principles attract me. I, I like, I find the, the, the discovery element, the explanatory element, and the creativity element um, combined in science, you know, in a very appealing way. And also the the doubt, the not knowing, you know, the the, the, the tension between attempting to know and, and maybe never knowing. Mm. <laughs> or never been certain, which is one of the um, underlying um, um, sort of activities of the, the creative life. You, know, you just never quite know when you've bought something up. You don't quite know when you've got what you've got when you've got there. You don't know how anyone else is going to respond to it, really. And, and um, poetry in particular, I think, because poetry is the most coded and um, contingent kind of language, um, and where science um, publicly is seen as something objective and not object subjective, poetry is seen as the reverse, but in fact it's still working towards its own kinds of objectivity. So I think that science and art practices differ in terms of the way they uh, present themselves to the world, but th there's a lot in common, and there's a lot one I can feel in common um, when I'm a writer. So yeah, I'm, I think that, that is in the poems sometimes overtly but you know in terms of the organization of poems even things like that yeah astronomy in particular i think is uh it's quite a poetic type of science i mean just in terms of it, it reaching for things that perhaps we will never know um and the poem i'm thinking of in particular of yours um is the mysterious song of the telescopes which is page 59 could i ask you to read that one and then maybe talk about it a bit and I'm very glad you gave me a potion because <laughs> I already have it in front of me. The mysterious song of the telescopes. Night breathes like a black saxophone, and nightbirds cry out naked as trumpets. But from light or the dying of light comes a longer vibration. Stellar notes riffle our intellectual senses. Here is cool star jazz. The hiss of the brush on symbols, planets crooning, I am Venus, I am Mars. Some are no more than brilliant metronomes, 
hypothetism from brassy sons. Some have drunk so much their livers have swollen and fallen in. It's the spaced out lifestyle, the electric road. Yet it was current before the earth was and would outlive us. It's esoteric and intense before we made the words, a shimmering sense. Tiny upturned senses in our minds know it each long night, facing up at skies filled with glinting instruments. Below, it's closer, glossy, than our loved one's hair, or travelling the airs of silver streaks appearing in the blackness. This is where the light goes. Poets are obsessed with it, astronomers who made a cult of light, and no less its rhythms. Wondering where it goes when it leaves the body completely, make titled instances written down, impelled towards the source exactly as they left it. The sky just lets it happen. Everyone dreams of it in metaphors. The latest model gleams of it in baked enamel. Fame, fortune, our name in lights and on the tongue. Thinking we've got it, whatever it is, and we haven't. Imagining most desperately of all, after suffering, there must be light for our flawed selves, picked up by some telescope. Perhaps we stir too closely, we can't resist hearing the sound of quacking, seeing like Paul Clay, graphology, straight and curved line ghost prints of bubbles in cloud chambers, backdiving at speeds of light. Angels bring the host of thin neutrinos, as if there was God's laughter down small. Cool star jazz. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So talk to me a little bit about that poem. Or does it just, does it need no explication at all? Oh, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, um, um, <laughs> I wrote it so long ago, I've forgotten anything that might have been attendant upon it. <laughs> um, I, I think that the, it, it's my version of the looking up at night and thinking, ah, what's going on? And then also, I suppose, looking for, yeah, as above, so below, you know, that, through that, Mechanism. I mean, one of the the whole. It's like one of the um, paradigms of sky poems is as above, so below. But it's the unexpected inversion. Um, I was very interested in Sufism at the time, so I was quite interested in, in um, uh, if you like, attempts to to be more than we are um, through you know practices and through perception and so on, but uh, essentially also that, um, to, see, to try to see the world both as a reality, but also maybe, uh, you know, to see into it further and further if possible, but, you know, metaphysically, I suppose, that there is that other place, a higher consciousness, the above or anything beyond that, and in this case being the sky, um, might also just always be um, a reflection of the, the world beneath. And Sky Poems is about that as a folly. So, I mean, a lot of the poems are really that might start off as being sort of positive and, and invoking um, the idealism of a heaven or a paradise end up sort of um, indicating the view as a pretty crooked lot a lot of the time. Yes. Um, Certainly the, the second part of the book as well, The Well Mouth, does that pretty yeah, um, sufficiently. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean... Um, that particular poem is one of the, you know, one of the glinting bits within, I suppose, the Scar Poems. It says these are poems which look at the positive and see the delight and the wonder and the affirmation of, 
of um, our, our you know, stronger, more innocent levels of consciousness rather than our id. Mm. Yes, I think it also, I mean, as we discussed, it, it, it does come to the heart, really, of, of any endeavor, any kind of creative endeavor, whether that is science, poetry, music, etc. I mean, this impetus towards making more than, you know, than meets the eye. Yeah, and um, the the uh, psychological psychological aspect of it, which is that we don't, don't always know what we're putting into our work, and um, that in, that's any kind of work, not just poetry, I mean, but, but uh, especially a code of language like poetry, um, there was so much room for the, the various interpretations, but also the cross-references back into readers, uh, you know, the poems that make a poem as a reader, uh, the reader of the poem, and just, you know, that, that is a, a reflection or an echo of the world, that we are, we are very flawed creatures. Uh, we have both wonderment and, you know, awfulness. And, I, you know, I suppose the... <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say the tragic, but the um, the more um, maybe it's just the dramatic part of me uh, can't write nice poems all the time, or even awful ones all the time. I mean, ones of awful or nice vision of the world. But some people just only want to be affirmative. I used to be a friend of um, Bill Hart Smith, William Hart Smith, the poet. And I just recently wrote an article about him for the um, Australian Poetry Journal, and he he just. Um, this point blank refused to count a negative emotion in his work. Hmm. That, was his, that was his poetic. He said, no, I'm not doing it. Oh, well, I think we miss something if we if we leave that out. I mean, in terms of at least coming close to uh, to exploring, I guess, everything that we are as, as people. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, plenty of negative to explore. Um, so tell me a little bit about the way in which these three books came together to become one. Did you actually sit down and write Alter World as a standalone book, or was it in your mind that this would complete the other two? Um, when I wrote Sky Poems, it was just a book, um, and it became, because it got to being, you know, it was down to a book, there were more poems, and it was always the, the quest that uh, my editor, Wendy Jenkins, in Western Australia, and I had was, <laughs> was to find out which poems were sky poems, which poems weren't from the original manuscript. And so that became a kind of refining of what it was. Now, some people would probably think it was, the book was too big and there were too many and there was too much variance, but that didn't matter to me, certainly, because, um, you know, anything might have entered into that kind of creative space and come out of it as well um, as, as uh, an, an exemplar of. But um, then, once the book was finished, it, it, it sat in my consciousness as a particular thing, which was the sky poems, and nothing of that previous process uh, sort of stayed around. So I was aware of it as a, a book which did a certain thing, made that particular world. And then I immediately thought, well, I probably will have to write the book, which is the, if it's the sky poems, the earth poems, you know, the ones that are not of that freedom, not of that uh, sense of endless possibility. And so um, it took a long time. I mean, I, Sky Poems was published in 1987. In 2005, or 2004, I actually wrote The Well Mouth, which is Windows. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, it's not exactly hell, but because no one's really being punished, except they're aware of 
or become increasingly aware of the fact that they're dead, <laughs> which is punishment for us. But a lot of the, a lot of the voices in the Royal Arts aren't aware of their state, um, but they are, if you like, perhaps subliminally aware of it. So that becomes that's becomes the Earth um, poems book. But um, it wasn't um, when I first thought of it back in the 80s going to be limbo. It was just going to be sort of here, you know, the Earth being our Earth, as you know, conceptually called. Um, anyway, so when I started to write um, The Wellmouth, I was thinking of particularly of Adele Bailey and various other women who have disappeared, come to about end, mainly through police and criminal and sometimes the same intervention. And I, then I thought of Tiresias and you know, getting back to mythology that, that um, the, the underground figure, the, the, the woman down the well, would be the cipher and the medium for all the voices of the dead. Um, so as soon as I'd written that and published that, I thought, okay, I've probably done the, the two, and that's probably enough. <laughs> um, and then later, I thought, I think this will be misunderstood unless there was a third book, which is really more theoretically life, you know. And so, also world is, is life, and therefore it's not a world, it's just uh, the poems are more random. It's not attempting as a collection to be one sort of made world book, but it, 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 it is some of the poems that clearly pick up characters and events and circumstances and themes from the earlier book. So it is meant to be, as you suggested, a kind of um, a, a, a balancing of, um, and making sense of, and I would immediately withdraw even the thought that sense can be made of this or our world, but you know, an attempt to put the three into a, a, um, a flux, so they all speak to each other. Mm. Yes, and you have a poem in Alter World specifically for Adele Bailey. Um, Adele also linking back to Theresius, um in, in the Wellmouth, who I guess is, is, is a kind of a, an alter ego for Adele. Mm. Um, he, Theresius's voice is a subtext, I think, to all of the poems through the Wellmouth, uh, and a reminder of the terrible death, but also one of the characters who is knowing, who does understand, I think, where he, she is, and what has happened. Um, can, you, can you read me the poem on page 140 that starts with, Vision Comes from Heat Exchange? It's, it's the one poem in that section, I think, there may be one other. I think it's the only poem that has no subtext. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, so this is in italics, so it is the voice of the Tiresias underground um, female figure. It has no title, so it just begins. Vision comes from heat exchange. Fear or insight from the side wound. I see in circles a reflex of the one giftedness of ground one lens of loss among the planks, the iron, my hoops, my ribs, my blind body broken. I see the blue flame dress of the sky above me. The small birds are angels. Doctor, polysemic words and white pages. The water has a heated metal sheen, a film of wise and what have beans. It slipped over shoulders my breasts. Three kilometers of here it has been raining. 
the water is rising from below. Oceans swell, Hildegard's migraine of God strobing up brain, tunnel and birthing the down-up bid, death's other language, other poem. A poem full of irony, the doubleness of life, death, a presence where is, isn't. A poem is becoming pauses inside story, Poems written alive with the eyes closed by poets fearful, alert, because they know well a poem is death with its eyes open. Mm-hmm. Bit of a strange one. Yes. <laughs> it, it is a strange one, but also in many ways I feel that it kind of encapsulates the whole of the well mouth. Mm, yes, yes. <clears throat> and, and for those who are listening in, <clears throat> excuse me, not familiar with the book, um, The Well Mouth is, is both an ironic title being a very unwell mouth, but The Well Mouth is the, the she is speaking from. She is, had, has been thrown down a well and is uh, down in the water, hence in the artesian um, element, and amongst other things that have been thrown away. As she says at one stage, the disused, the disuse of me. Um, and so the seeing up through the telescope or the bore of the well, the seeing down into herself, into the world, and the, you know, the bore sort of being like a barrel, she had been shot. Um, but the, she can see outside of this confinement and she can hear the voices and understands them and knows that they are sort of poems. Which, of course, is your, is your reference back to the whole thing being a poem, the poem of, of, of death, anyway. Um, and um, then there's a, a story in the world map. There's a kind of narrative about um, you know, individual people and how they came to be um, no longer alive or somewhere between life and death. And also her particular case, which is about, you know, I suppose, police corruption. And the the gaudy glamorizing of crime as drama in our culture. Mm. Now, oddly enough, when the, when the book came out, because it's poetry and not fiction, what's a single remark that is in reviews and responses? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, just after that, the underbelly um, television series started up. <laughs> it was quite funny that it, it never got put together, these things. <laughs> Poetry is just really underread in a way, which is <laughs> Underread in the social, in the, in the public sense, you know, because there's no discussion of it anymore, not much. Yes, it's, is it a freedom? I mean, I always <laughs> thought of that as a bad thing, but, um, you know, perhaps it, there's a freedom in being able to touch on things that, uh, you know, might be um, forbidden in other contexts. Oh, completely. I know, I completely agree. I think that's the ultimate freedom of poetry. You do it, you damn well like. <laughs> and most of the time people won't bother you about it because they don't read it so <laughs> <laughs> sadly true <laughs> well, um, there, there is there is an extraordinary amount of, of violence through the well mouth but um, I found oddly as reader that there is also consolation in in the mouth consolation in the fact that there is that this character this, this lost character is actually able to narrate. It, it, it almost feels like um, I don't know, like uh, it, it's better as a result. You know, I don't I don't feel so 
bad about the death if you've given a voice still. Oh, well, thank you. I'm pleased you um, feel that because that has, I mean, uh, I did once do an interview and uh, someone said, you must have felt terrible when you were writing these poems. I said, quite reverse. <laughs> I actually felt, you know, that uh, it was kind of privileged place, mm. place of healing yeah. um, and a place of uh, being true to the, um, uh, the, um, the the traumas, but also the uh, the momentary beauties of existence. Yes, and you've given you've given Adele. After all, you've given her a voice. Yes, and she she wins. Yes, she wins. Yeah, yeah. She wins. Teresa wins. wins. She, she, I think she so. floats out in her Artesian streams out to sea. So you know she's free. <laughs> also, <laughs> however black, and it does get kind of pretty black at times. Um, there's always this incredibly strong streak throughout all three books, almost again as a thread um, of humour. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad you see that. I mean, it's uh, it's the sort of thing that that actually takes, if I uh, may, <laughs> fucking for a second, perception. Because um, <clears throat> I, I don't. I think I, my work has a kind of a, a wit in it. It's not um, laugh humour. I think a lot of people don't see that in poetry. They actually just kind of perceive it. Um, and I, I I have found that that, that because it, wit can be extremely subtle. Mm. Um, it's some people really get it. I mean, I know some people. And um, my partner, for instance, was reading Rome after she was sitting outside and she had a cigarette and glass wine. She was laughing all the time. <laughs> she knows what's there. I suppose she can pick it up. And I was thinking, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> so I'm really pleased you you picked it up because it is. I think increasingly um, throughout the books. I think you know if anything, I was a, a, a more perfect poet <laughs> when I began. Um, I, well, I was. It was a weakness, I think. Um, the, the seriousness of you. I think I've, I've learnt, I've learnt, you know, the, 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 to put more of the kind of my personality into poems. Not as me, but the element of humour. I, I love humour, I love wit, and I love um, the play. So yeah. the poems all, all have play in them, and I think people can forget that. There's a lot of play, and a lot of the humour's in the play. It's yes. not a dream play, but it's a play. And it's a play that it's almost as, a, as if it were a wink. It's a, a play to the reader reminding us that everything is more than what it appears at first glance. You know, look a little closer, just a little bit closer. Yes. Um, one poem that did that for me, we're nearly out of time, but I, I'd love to get you to read one more, um, is Expansion, a Romantic Ghazal, which is 251. And... Um just to introduce it, the, this is the last poem of the last collection, which is from Alter World Days, the collection of World. And um, in Ghazal, the poet is meant to refer to themselves. And I did have some Ghazals which played on my name being used um, in the first book, which closes off in the last book. It's called Expansion, a Romantic Ghazal. He shuffles a lot, standing or moving off. He is the tram, with its door shut. A woman rushes up and bangs on the side. The questions she asks are obvious. Can I? Why won't you? Just who do you think you are? Well, if he knew, he'd open the door. And if he knew her more, he'd shut it again. He is so weak, opening seems like seizure. So instead of weak, he seizes his door shut 
to save himself. But oh, the universe is expanding. He feels it. And he steps outside an old house that has broken its hip, that has two cancerous slates burnt from its roof. There she is, waiting for him. He takes her for a glass of wine to stop her shaking her fist. She gets drunk on two and takes the barman's number on her memory. Of course she does. The he of this romance is a twat. The universe is not expanding. The old house clears its throat. It slumps. She is not for opening, or not for him. Salem, he shouts, this is all your fault. Not your usual love poem. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it, that's a, it has to be said that's a Melbourne poem, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> because I've, I've observed tram life much more, obviously, since you know, Melbourne. And uh, I, I've always found trams themselves kind of funny, you know, of human trams. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is, of course, all your fault. It is my fault. That's, you know, all three books anyone might have encountered, it's, they're all my fault. I'm not apologizing, but I'm acknowledging <laughs> that's the case. Yes, and I think we have successfully proved that there is, in fact, humor in the book. Oh, yes, okay, good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're almost out of time, um, but just before we finish up, I'd love to hear about what you're working on now, or what's in the pipeline, or what you'd like to be working on. Um, yes. The completion of this, uh, trilogy or um, 27 year you know connection to making worlds or writing about the world within books that have theme has finished so, so, so um, it, it also for me it has told me that I'm not going to write about this kind of projected world through the making of poems as books so for the time being as far as I can tell that's that's done with. So the, the large imaginative writing of those kinds of uh, worlds and books is, is finished. That means stylistically, even though the three books have three different styles, becoming sort of increasingly abstract in Oswald. Um, I think what I'm going to do is write um, now short, uh, intricate poems. Um, and that's what I want to know. Probably shorter lines, probably shorter poems. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I mean, I have done some, I'm not making more comment about it, but I, I don't think I've got there yet. I'm, I'm looking for a new manner um, that is, um, I think there's one poem that might be, I think the, the, the kind of poem I'm thinking of, which is A Man and a Dog in the Morning Fog from Alter World, I think that might be a clue to where I'm going for the new work. Um, and also I'm writing my, uh, fourth novel just started last week and it's like no other novel that the breaks well it's not it's not even a novel but that's what's interesting well it's a novel but it is it is a concept book again in one sense but everything happens in it is just uh, a kind of big joke so looking forward to yes, both of those We'll, we'll look forward to seeing those. Um, that's all we have time for. But Philip, thank you so much for joining me today. And listeners, don't forget to tune in next month when we'll be talking with uh, local author Carolyn Martinez. Bye for now. Thank you, Maggie. Bye.